Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 15, 11 through 24, if you would like to follow along. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs that pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. It is good to be with you all. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ted Thulin, and um, I am the family pastor here at The Vine, so oftentimes you'll see me down the hallway with the kids, and it is just a joy to be down there, uh, along with just some amazing group of volunteers um, from the infants all the way through sixth grade. Um, on a Sunday, we can have anywhere, a typical Sunday, anywhere from 40 to 50 kids down there. It takes about 15 volunteers uh, pouring into them and sharing the Bible with them, sharing the love of Jesus with them. So we are just excited to do that. And then we got this great, great addition. The Lord just gave us an amazing gift, and her name is Caroline Perilini. And she is our new associate kids director. And so that is awesome. We're excited to have Caroline. So if you see her afterwards, if you want to kind of make your way down there, um, she's a a former teacher and just brings a lot of experience, a love for the Lord, love for kids. So really excited about all that. A couple games. I think I've seen a lot of Baylor shirts. Did Baylor win yesterday? Nice win. Nice win. Sikkim, okay, I hear that over there. Um, Astros, any Astro fans? Okay. Now, my team didn't win, but I kind of count it as a win, and I even have the socks on here. My KU socks. How about them Jayhawks? Now, honest, how many UT fans were really scared? The last UT coach to lose to Kansas got fired. So hopefully he's okay and they're going to do that. But anyway, at Kansas, we don't win very much. Um, We're excited about a new coach. And so last night we lost, but we count that as a win. So anyway, it's all good. 
today we're going to continue in our sermon series, The Prodigal Story. And uh, each week we're focusing on a different character of the story. Last week um, we had a guest preacher. Her name is Jenna from Vox Finet. It's a sister covenant church here on the east side of Austin. And she just did a wonderful job unpacking uh, the character of the father and the parent in the story and focusing on the extravagant love that came and just the desire to communicate that no matter what you have done, that you belong and that you are loved. And she asked the question, do we commonly think of God this way, that we belong to God, that we are loved unconditionally, and then he just pours his lavish grace upon our lives? Today, I want to begin with a, maybe a little uh, easier question, a softball question in a sense, and that is, have you ever lost anything? Yeah? Have you ever lost anything lately? Give me some things you've lost lately. Keys? That's almost daily for me. Phone, keys. My mind. Your mind. Nice. Yeah, I can lose that one too. Um, yeah, it's, and now if you lose, you before it was my phone and my wall, but now they're combined. So I don't know if that's good or bad. You lose one thing and you're in a lot of trouble. But mainly a lot of the things, um, uh, even maybe losing our mind, is they're more incon- just more inconveniences, right? And we kind of deal with them. But having a wayward or a lost child or spouse or friend, um, that's a whole nother level. And as Christian parents, if we think of our children, one of the greatest joys for us is to see our children walking with the Lord. And as we seek to to raise them to know the Lord, sometimes we uh, can do everything and they'll still go astray. When they're young, they're just so receptive, aren't they? And they're open, and, and for the most time, they're obedient, and, and they think you, you hung the moon. But then as they grow older in those teenage years, things start to change a little bit, right? They start to push back, and maybe even on that, that faith that you've installed, and they start to think that they everything, um, and maybe that they're older than they are. But as they start to push back, um, I just think that uh, one of the things that we need to just you know, do as parents is obviously is to continue to love them. But also when we're with that age group is to remember once that we were all teenagers too, right? We did those things. Um, we thought we knew it all with our parents. Parents didn't understand. There was even a rap song about it back in the 80s. It was good. All that stuff. Um, we were once there too. But, um, and, and for some of you, this may be happening right now. And if it is, I just want to give you just a, a slight word of encouragement here, is that continue down that road as you raise your children uh, in their faith journeys. And, and, and while others will speak into their lives, whether it's friends or, or teachers or coaches or um, leaders, uh, there's a slide up here that, and I think this is so true, is that research demonstrates that parents are the number one influences, influencers when it comes to spirituality in young people, and yes, even teenagers. And so that's a, it's an awesome 
responsibility and privilege um, as parents. And as we grow uh, in our children's ministry and in our youth ministry, we as a church want to help come alongside um, you as parents to, to help you in that um, as you nurture and develop um, faith in, in your own children. I was talking to some parents and they said, uh, um, well, you know, our kids, they've never really uh, had any problems and never really rebelled. I said, really? I said, how old are they again? They said four and five. I said, well, you got through the terrible two somehow, and the teenage years are coming. Um, so it might be a little different when that happens. So that's kind of the setup to, I want us to now jump back into the story of the prodigal. And this story is widely considered as one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in the world. Charles Dickens thought it was the great, one of the greatest short stories ever written. But it's more than just great literature. It is a story that has hope and good news. A story that has a shocking request followed by two shocking responses. A story where we can easily identify with either the younger son or the older son, and, or maybe both at times. So we see right at the top of it, as we entered the story um, that we began in verse 11, is that the younger son, he wanted independence from his father, and he said, Father, give me my portion of the inheritance. And so back in those days, the oldest son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son, or younger sons, the rest would be divided. So this son would get um, a third of the inheritance. And so in this request, we can see there's, it's just, it's selfish, right? Just thinking about himself, not thinking about what that request would be and, and the effect it would have on, on the father. Um, and basically, he's saying, you know what, Dad? I just wish you were dead now. If you were, I could just have it now and have my money and go, just that self, you know, instant gratification. I want what's coming to me. And the first amazing response, though, in, is that the father does. He gives him his part of the inheritance. And in verse 13, it says, once he got it all together. And what does that mean, getting it all together? Well, if we think back during the time, his inheritance, there would be land and livestock and all these different things. It wasn't like he could just go to the debit machine and get some money to give to him. So he'd have to sell all these things. And so even doing that to give that portion to his son, you know, that would be very public and it would be a disgrace. Like, how could that son be asking you uh, and making this request to his father? And, and while I know this story, I mean, this, what Jesus is telling is just a story, but what I pick up here is that it's not necessarily a dysfunctional home, but, but rather a stable home, one with a, a very hands-on dad. One that um, is loving and nurturing, as we see later in the response when the son comes home. Uh, it's an affluent home, right? There's servants at this home, meaning this boy probably never really wanted for anything, and that there is faith in this home. So we're told that this, this younger son gets all he can, and he goes off to a foreign land. And I picture he goes off to Vegas, right? And he's going off there, and it says, um, just lavish living. 
And as he gets there, you know, he has all this money, and so he gets all these instant friends all of a sudden, and he's, you know, throwing parties and eating all the nice food and drinking and doing all this stuff until all the money is gone. And then he looks around, and there's no one there because they are all there just for the money. And, you know, I was thinking about this. We, too, can get caught up in, in lavish living. Maybe it's not going off in, to some distant land and having wild parties, or, or maybe that is part of it. Um, but there's a point in even in our lavish living where things come to an end, and that void that we are trying to fill, it's still there because we never can seem to get enough. You know, I, I once heard a quote that lust, so anything shiny that we're running after, that we're lusting after, it says lust is an animal that you can never satisfy. And yet we try to fill our life in so many different ways, and oftentimes it's very selfish, and we do it regarding of consequences. I like how Henry Nouwen, an, uh, an author and a theologian, describes it this way. I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. So this younger son squanders his wealth in this wild, lavish living, and then he has nothing to show for it. He's just left with an emptiness. Jesus speaks of this in Mark chapter 8 where he says, What shall profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In other words, you could have the whole world, but it's not worth much. It's not worth nearly as much as your soul that's living inside you. Your soul, your heart, that is the part that has a relationship with God. And that's the part that needs to turn and to come home. Then we read in verses 14 through 16 that after this wild fling he has, where he's completely ignoring. Any of you guys Dave Ramsey fans? Dave Ramsey finances, good stuff if you don't have it. Got some cheering back over here. He's just ignoring that completely, right? No savings, he's done. He's lost. And then it says a, fam a severe famine comes over the whole country. And this isn't just like a recession where it affected a little bit. Like there's all of a sudden nothing. And he's wasted everything. And he's looking around and and uh, no one to turn to. And for us, when you hit, we hit crisis, we turn to our family. Maybe it's our parents, maybe it's a spouse, or even our kids, or maybe it's some friends that we turn to. He had no one to turn to. He was on his own. And so the one that he finds that he can attach him to is a farmer that has some pigs that he can go feed. And he finds this job, but think about this, folks. He's a Jewish, he's Jewish, so feeding pigs, that's, he's hitting the lowest of all lows to go do this job. He can't eat pigs, he can't touch a dead pig, and here, this is the only thing that he can do, and he longs, he is hurting so much, he's longing just to eat what the pigs eat. He's very humbled. But even at his very lowest point, very lowest point, his father doesn't abandon him. He might feel like it because he's all on his own right now. 
And he doesn't know where his father is sitting there waiting for him to come home. But he's not abandoned. And I, I mention this, though, because sometimes for us, again, our kids or a spouse or a friend, a loved one, will go astray and start to wander. And we just start to wonder, where is God? And we are praying desperately the types of prayers where you just cry out for your prodigal son, your prodigal daughter to come back home. And the next thing you hear is they get kicked out of school. Or the next thing you hear is they lose their job or they get arrested or something else bad happens and the situation seems to get worse. And again, we cry out, God, where are you? And we can't see him. We can't feel his presence. We, we're just, we're left with what? God. But even when we can't see him or feel him, he is right in the midst of our pain and our mess. His heart also breaks. And you know, we know that some people will have to learn, and that might be us, the hard way. We might have to just hit rock bottom. But friends, even when we do that, hope can be found there. Because when you come to the end of yourself, that's when you come to the beginning of God. From the day the younger son had gone away, that father had many, many sleepless nights hoping and praying his son would return. And then we read in verse 17, the boy, he comes to his senses. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It's this speech that he's starting to rehearse. And, and as I look at that, I, as you look at there, there's, there's no really trace of arrogance. He's not trying to justify what he's done. He's realized what he's done. He's casting himself on the mercy of his father. In the Psalms, in the Bible, in King David's great confession uh, in Psalm 51, we read this, my sacrifice, sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. And in the son's brokenness, he is confessing his sin against heaven and against his father. But it's, it's more than just that verbal confession in the heart. Repentance, the definition of scripture, is actually a turning so running after sin, running after this lavish living, and then he gets to that point, and then he actually, the confession is a turning, repenting, turning toward, back towards God and going back to his father. And that's what we see him doing. He's getting up out of that mess, out of that literal mess of the pigsty, and he's starting to go home. And as he starts to make that journey home, what do you think is going through his mind? How is my father going to respond? How's my brother and others going to respond? And he's, he's, he's wandering. He's probably filthy and stinky and dirty, maybe even unrecognizable. And he keeps wandering each curve. He's getting closer and closer. What's it going to be like? Is it when I make that last turn, is my father just going to be sitting up there? Oh, now you decide to come home. Arms crossed and just 
you know, give me the, the works? Verse 20, the unimaginable happens. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. When I think of this, I think of, again, the, the father sitting where he probably sat day after day on that front porch, just waiting for his son to come home, gazing out for it. And all of a sudden, that day that he had hoped for for so long finally happens. And then the father, it's kind of like he's throwing all dignity aside. He pulls out, hikes up his little skirt thing, whatever they were back then, shows those old legs, and he starts running after him, right? And those are things you wouldn't do back then. If you're the patriarch of the family, you don't show your legs, even if you're wearing KU socks. You don't do that, and you wouldn't run. He doesn't care. And he's running after his son. And then he gets there and he embraces, again, his dirty, probably stinky, just son and loves him and hugs him and kisses him. Friends, what a beautiful picture of grace. Has this son done anything to deserve this response? Has he earned it? Uh Uh-uh. He thought about it. He thought, hey, if my speech, I'll go home and I'll start working and maybe I can work my way back in. I'll be a servant for a little while and I can earn it. No. The father stops him in the speech halfway and goes, stop. I love you. You've come back home. It's grace. And what is grace? Grace is an undeserved gift. And that's what he receives. He receives unconditional love and forgiveness. In that one verse, right there, that's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. Friends, God is waiting, and he's not waiting, though, for us to get our lives in order to get cleaned up. The father didn't say, hey, go take a shower first, then I'll give you a hug, then we can talk some more. He hugged him right where he was. And that's what God's doing. He wants to love us unconditionally. So much so that he paid the greatest penalty in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross and to be resurrected back to life so that we could be restored back into relationship with the Lord. And maybe our wandering, it's not as dramatic as what the story is. Maybe for you, are thinking, well, I didn't do that, Ted. Maybe you've just stepped off the front porch, right? Just a little bit. But we've all wandered some distance. And the good news today is that we have a heavenly father whose arms are like this, waiting for us to come back home to embrace us. And again, we're welcome not because we deserve it. It's the exact opposite. (coughs) Notice the younger son, too, though. He didn't come back saying, hey, dad, did you miss me? How are things going? Can I have my room back? Can I have some more money? No, he didn't do that. He came with true repentance. And as I've been just preparing and studying this, I just thought of this too, just kind of a word for caution, and I'll say this even for myself, it's that attitude of, I'm going down the wrong road, but I'm not too tired of going down that road yet. I kind of like it. 
And I'll actually, I'll repent about that later. I have time to do that further on. But the further we travel down that way, farther from God, the less we think we need to repent. Another quote I want to share you from Henry Nouwen. The farther, the farther I run away from the place where God dwells, the less I'm able to hear the voice that calls me the beloved. And the less I hear that voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and the power games of this world. Friends, the most important decision any of us will ever make in our lifetime is saying yes to Jesus Christ and coming back to the Father. And through the grace of God, you don't have to hit rock bottom. Like I said, you might just step off that front porch. And as we continue through our journeys of faith, again and again, we're going to find areas of our life where we've just gone wayward. And maybe you're sitting there today thinking, I'm too bad to come back to God. I've done too many wrong things. You might be thinking, Ted, maybe you know me a little bit, but you don't know the fullness of maybe the deceit or the brokenness or the things that I've done in my life. And I don't. But what I do know is that if if you feel a tug of your heart from the Heavenly Father, it is because the Holy Spirit is working in your life. He's calling you home. He's calling you to turn and to turn back to him. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says, no matter who you are, no matter how awful the stuff you've done, if you come home, God will accept you. He will love you, and it's all by sheer grace. Now, Jesus told this story of this young man to, about this young man to religious leaders who had been accusing him of spending too much time with the, quote, sinners and the tax collectors, the bad people. And he responds also in saying that it's rejoicing when one person repents in heaven, turning back towards the Heavenly Father. When that young man came, his father grabbed him, again hugged him and kissed him, they threw a big banquet for him. The father said, bring the finest robe and put it on him. And who do you think had the finest robe in that house? I think the father did. I imagine the father put his robe on his son. He put the ring on his finger. And back then, the ring was actually signified that you, that you belonged to that family. He said, I'm going to do everything to remind you that you belong and that you lo- are loved So friends, no matter how far we've wandered, God still loves us. He forgives us, and he rejoices when we come back. And I believe that this story applies to each and every one of us, because we can go search for things all over the place, but the only thing that can fill the deepest voids in our hearts is the Lord. And the younger son, he began his journey with probably back home with shame and despair and hopelessness, only later to experience firsthand from his father 
extravagant love and grace. And it makes you think, after experiencing that from his father, how did he start to live his life differently? Was he more grateful? Was he more generous? Was he more grace-filled to people? Did he, was he quicker to forgive others? I also believe that same question is important for each one of us. Now that we have, once you have experienced the love and grace of Jesus Christ and God's unconditional love, how, in response, will you live differently?